Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 62, the greatest day in motorsports edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. What's good, brother? Yeah, I'm doing great, Phil. Uh, I have to agree with you. It is the most greatest weekend in motorsports with Indy 500 coming up and then also the 600. Of course, we already had Monaco this past yeah. Sunday, so a little bit different than in years past, but still the greatest day in racing. Yeah, that's the one thing that made it really did make it the greatest day in motorsports. But now, for whatever reason, whether it's Formula One, whether it's Monaco, whatever, they moved the Monaco Grand Prix back a week. That used to be a thing. I think they used to have it either before or after for many years. But for all the years, for many years in my fandom, it's been on the same day as the Indianapolis 500 and the Coca-Cola 600, of course, weather permitting in the latter two instances, but uh, we will have those two races uh, this weekend. We will talk about the Indianapolis 500. The qualifying took place. Uh, Carb day practice will be coming up in a couple of days, along with uh, what we're thinking about in regards to favorites and the whole bit. Give you a good uh, in-depth preview of the Indianapolis 500, the 105th running. And we will also discuss the Coca-Cola 600 and all their events. The triple header will be taking place at Charlotte as well. Uh, Trucks on Friday, Xfinity on Saturday, and Cup on Sunday. There will be practice and qualifying for that race, for all those races. So that'll be nice. Uh, We will go over the Monaco Grand Prix, which saw Max Verstappen uh, destroy after Charlotte Claire hit the wall and qualifying after qualifying on pole. And that basically was the end of his weekend. Uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, not having a great race and uh, giving up the points lead in the process. What does that mean for him as they go to Baku in a week's time? Kind of get into that. We'll probably get into it more next week. We'll also discuss everything that took place at Circuit Americas, including all the destruction on Sunday during the cup race. Uh, Kyle Busch winning his 98th Xfinity race and uh, Todd Gilliland beating out uh, Kaz Grala, Sheldon Creed, amongst others, to win the truck race. The roundup's going to be very busy because uh, talking about Formula 2 at Monaco, World Superbikes at Aragon last week and Air- Estoril this week, the uh, Rally Portugal for WRC. And then the MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3 at uh, Mugello for the Italian Grand Prix. Supercars at Winton. And then Extreme E with their second uh, race in Senegal uh, this weekend. We will then preview Charlotte. And uh, Josh will let us know what's going on in the world of iRacing and Sim. Might get in a little bit of bowling talk on my end too. And, you know, we'll make make a mention there of Phil Mickelson winning at 50 years old because that's what I was watching instead of the cup race. I was watching Phil Mickelson win the PGA Championship because, honestly, that was more intriguing. Uh, Might get some mentions on some sports news. And uh, then we'll uh, let you go for the day or night or evening or afternoon or whenever the heck you're listening to this. So let's get started with... uh, Indianapolis 500 qualifying was last week, and Scott Dixon won the pole for the fourth time in his illustrious career. 
I mean, literally held on for dear life to win the poll uh, as, as, as hard as Emma Dixon went and held on to Dario Franchitti's wife in a hug. Uh, it was three tenths or thousand, was it three, three hundredths of a mile an hour uh, difference, literally. So I don't know how that measures out in other method, but well, Dixon's is, um, I think, less than almost two tenths of a second. Yeah. Not two tenths of a second, but almost uh, two hundredths, so 0. 0.019. Yeah. So that's, that's just insanity considering a four lap average. Uh, of course, conditions were way tougher on Sunday during the fast nine than they were for Dixon when he went out and drew the number one pill uh, and put up his big uh, average to take the provisional poll. Uh, Colton Herta was looking to be the youngest pole sitter ever in the Indianapolis 500's history, but he will be right next to uh, Scott Dixon. Both of them have won races so far this year. Uh, it's basically the guy who's been the king of IndyCar for however many going on near two decades with the new Hachu, the the young gun, the one that is a, probably what IndyCar, if they knew what PR was, would probably be putting uh, making him a face with like Pato Award and any number of other guys they have in this series, like Rena's VK. I mean, they have a lot of marketable people and I'm readily available. Uh, there's so many people that are passionate about IndyCar that do podcasts uh, that could do a better job promoting the sport and promoting these drivers than IndyCar does itself, which is crazy. Um, well, and speaking of Renas VK, he's on the outside of the front row, had an amazing run, um, almost had a couple wipeouts, uh, almost wiped out in turn one, on, I think lap four there, uh, but he held on to it. So it's going to be interesting what he does when he walks up onto the stage for um, driver intros, like he did the Lightning McQueen or something last year. I forget what he did, but it was funny. Uh, we'll go through the uh fast nine so scott dixon colton hurt arenas vk will be on the front row ed carpenter multiple uh pole sitter of the indianapolis 500 i think three times will start fourth 2013 winner antoine canon will start fifth in the uh, jimmy johnson 48 car with the american legion which is amazing because he's brazilian and then alex polo uh, his teammate making three Ganassi cars in the top six after Pillow wrapped his car into the turn two wall doing his second run. Ryan Hunter Ray for Andretti Autosport, the 2014 winner, three-time Indianapolis 500 winner, Elio Castro-Neves driving for Meyer Shank Racing, and Marcus Erickson giving the Ganassi team the uh, all four of their cars in the fast nine. So I guess from there, I mean, we could start with that. I mean, Dixon and Herta, VK, all have won races so far this year, and they all, in their own rights, based on their teams, have something to show. But it's going to be an interesting first corner, I'll have to say. Yeah, definitely. I think for this race, uh, Scott Dixon definitely will take the lead to start this race. Uh, I don't see it any other way. And with the way that uh, passing looks like it's been since last year with the new arrow screen, looks like we may see another Indy 500 that's dominated by Scott Dixon. So I think he's the favorite. He's been 
quick uh, through qualifying and most importantly through uh, race practice. It looks like from what they've shown so far uh, this past couple of weeks that he, he's definitely has the pace for uh, both uh, race trend and, and in qualifying. So I think he's definitely the favorite. Uh, whether he win is another question. Not sure yet, but uh, Colton Herta uh, put up really good time as well. Just not quick enough to get the pole, but certainly uh, he, he's going to be a, another player too. Um, definitely with the strategy, I think they're they're gonna have to figure out uh, how to extend their fuel mileage. Probably uh, see uh, what type of mileage they get in the draft, I guess, versus Scott Dixon, and you know maybe they uh, are able to overtake him uh, through pit stops, or you know it comes down to a late race battle between him and Scott Dixon. And then I think for both the Carpenter teams, you know, Green is VK and. Ed Carpenter, they've both been uh, very quick throughout practice and qualifying. And historically speaking, you know, since the, the DW12, uh, Ed Carpenter cars have been really good at Indy. So uh, no surprise there that they've been able to be really quick uh, throughout qualifying. And then I think maybe the surprising one in this Fast 9 is Tony Kanon with his fifth place uh, qualifying up for there. And he had a, a lot of practices too, where he was really quick. So I think he could be an underdog favorite, uh, or maybe not a favorite, but definitely a dark horse for the 500 on Sunday with the 48. I mean, I know it's Tony Kanon and it's in ovals. So definitely going to be a different result than what we've seen from Jimmy Johnson on the road courses. But nonetheless, it, it's the Chip Ganassi Racing 48 car uh, being in the top 10 in the Fast 9 for uh, the Indy 500, so a good result there. And then, of course, Pelot in sixth place, but he did have that qualifying crash uh, late on Saturday uh, and wrecked what was probably going to be a good car. And obviously, they you know went to a backup or repaired that car and just uh, maybe not going to have the same type of pace that it had before because you know one car is different from the other car. So it's looking like I don't know how how they're going to do, but. Maybe they're not going to be as quick. And then, you know, Hunter Ray, Castro Nevis, and then Erickson. Um, I think Hunter Ray might be another dark horse favorite. It uh, seems like, you know, out of the Andretti Autosport uh, stable, you know, they have at least two of their cars that are, you know, pretty quick through throughout uh, the month of May. And so I think this time it's Colton Herta, and then, of course, Ryan Hunter Ray, and then Castro Nevis. Uh, I think his first year back in a while at the Indianapolis 500. And yeah, I think for him, uh, this is a, a good, another good result for Meyer Schenck proving that their cars are, are good, not just Jack Harvey. So I think for him, uh, he could be another dark horse favorite. We'll have to see. And then I think Erickson, uh, he's probably going to be the worst of the Ganassi cars, but nonetheless is still a, a good effort there to get ninth place and qualifying for the 500. Yeah, and to make the fast nine, it, it, the way the weather conditions were was, and the way everything kind of landed out on Saturday during the provisional qualifying, uh, you only really had your one run. If you didn't make it happen in your one run, you were basically screwed. I mean, Jack Harvey, of course, you mentioned him, the teammate of Elio Castro-Neves, uh, going and having a tire that basically laminated I don't I mean I've never seen that happen with a Firestone tire before you see that with Goodyear tires all the time 
uh, in whatever sport, mostly in NASCAR, but uh, that's why they go and badge their Dunlops in Europe. Goodyear's now to make it look like they actually know how to make a good tire. But uh, that was bad luck for Harvey. Uh, he might have been a person that could have possibly made the fast nine. Of course, Alexander Rossi, I think he qualifies 10th. I think almost every year it seems like that's his, his spot. I mean, the one year when he qualified 10th and then they had everybody requalify and he had some sort of problem and he had to start on the last row. That was pretty crazy. But then that made it more interesting because Alexander Rossi was mad and then he had to go through the field. So that was probably better for the show. Um, but he usually qualifies 10th and we'll get into that here. I was just checking the weather just out of curiosity. It looks like uh, the carb day practice, unless they move it to Saturday is gonna yeah, not like happen, factor. but uh, they'll be able to race on Sunday. So that's, that's a positive uh, in regards to the next we'll get into, I guess, this next group of cars is, is the 10 through 30, the people that were locked in uh, on Saturday. So that starts with Alexander Rossi, former winner of the Indianapolis 500, Ed Jones for uh, Dale Coyne Racing, Pato Award in 12th. Fastest rookie is uh, Dale Coyne, Rick Ware, uh, number 51 of Pietro Fittipaldi. So Pietro Fittipaldi a few years ago was supposed to run the Indianapolis 500, running a limited schedule. Uh, but what the heck was his name? It was Clayman Zachary Clayman DeMello or something. And then um, he wrecked at Spa during the six hours in practice or something and broke his leg. So he was out, but he came back later in the season. Uh, now he gets a shot at Indy, the Fittipaldi name, uh, famous at Indy is grandfather Emerson, uh, two-time Indianapolis 500 winner. Uh, uncle uh, Christian finished second in his debut at the Indianapolis 595. So there is a lineage there. Uh, Felix Rosenquist uh, in the other one of the the second car for um, Arrow McLaren. Uh, speaking of that, there's great video or story that was on today today i believe of uh, sam schmidt uh standing uh, with a new um arrow i guess suit that they've made uh where he was able to stand for his daughter's wedding and it was a whole thing it's an emotional video to watch and considering it's been 21 years and he was uh, you know he he was paralyzed after that horrible crash at Disney World Speedway. And to be standing uh, shows the greatness of technology and all the things that have come along. Um, he's driving and racing again, too. So it's this amazing thing. Um, hopefully that's uh, something, some of those innovations and stuff can also help Robbie Wickens along the path where he's not as severely injured, but there is still a spinal cord injury. Hopefully we could see that. And that all connects with Aaron McLaren. Uh, defending race winner Takuma Sato and James Hinchcliffe, Scotty McLaughlin in the second fastest rookie and the fastest Penske car. And keep that in mind. Reem Rehal, uh, who, um, based on his qualifying, his daughter Harlan was not impressed with it. Uh, she fell asleep. Uh, Connor Daly, who um, 
I think made more memes on Sunday sitting there uh, waiting on Sage Karam while going and combing his mullet. Jack Harvey, who had, I think, two or three runs at it and starts 20th. Joseph Newgarden will be on the outside of row seven and uh, his push to finally win the Indianapolis 500. J.R. Hildebrand in the A.J. Foyt, a 1961 ABC Supply uh, car, which will have one Anthony Wayne Stewart sitting in the pit box with Anthony Joseph Foyt Jr., so that'll be something. Uh, Root Beer Floathead, who wrecked during practice. Uh, he'll be running in 23rd. And Juan Pablo Monterrier, the two-time Indianapolis 500 winner in the third Arrow McLaren car. 25th is Marco Andretti, 26th Simon Pagano, and Sebastian Bourdais driving the lead A.J. Foyt car. Then Stefan Wilson in another Andretti car, Max Chilton, and Dalton Kellett. And there was some intrigue there. I don't know if you were watching it. Uh, on Saturday, Josh, but it it seemed weird that they moved removed their time because in previous years that when you remove your time when you're in the top thirty, that just moves everybody up in previous qualifying iterations. Uh, which at that point it seemed like Will Power would have been in, which we'll talk about in a minute. But with whatever they had decided, he could remove his time and literally requalify because he still had a locked in time or some crap like that. I, I, I don't know because they moved him into the line where he'd remove his time and he could requalify and he requalified slower than what he had actually qualified initially, which in turn almost gave Simona Di Silvestro a chance to lock herself in on Saturday. Um, but they lacked speed um included power also lack speed which i guess is an intriguing thing which we'll take it into account here in a moment but i mean that's 20 drivers there's a lot of former winners uh i mean you went over the top nine uh in great form i think the person to watch out for there's two people it's alexander rossi he's been on this like cold spell for a couple of years and it's connected with basically colton herda showing up uh, he could go and basically silence that if he goes out there and wins the Indianapolis 500. He had a horrible year last year when everyone picked him as like the title favorite. And this year has not been amazing by any stretch of imagination, even for his standard. But he has Napa. He's going to be there forever. Uh, Colton Herta, for all intents and purposes, by contract, is going to be here for at least another three years. But, you know, the rumors and things are pushing that I would assume if somebody had a clue in Formula One and they really want to have somebody that could jump in a car and be competitive, that's an American. I think Colton Herta is probably the most likely source. It's either him or Dalton Sargent. Uh, but, you know, neither of them have money. So who's going to actually pay them to actually show up? That's the problem. Uh, in regards to Rossi, though, he's always been great. He always is great at Indy. And, uh, Got close a couple of years ago. Pagano beat him there late. Um, he's been up front and wrecked. But the fact is, I think he wants his second Indy 500 win really bad. Same way as Scott Dixon. I mean, Dixon, for as great as he is, has only got one Indy 500. Now, granted, there's people like Michael Andretti and, you know, likes of Scott Goodyear or Roberto Guerrero or 
whatever that wish they had one. Uh, but Mario Andretti only has one and, you know, is considered the greatest of all time. But Scott Dixon has been close. Last year's, last August Indy 500 was a gut punch when he dominated that race. And so, I mean, I think for Rossi, he, he wants this one, but I also think Joseph Newgarden, because basically at Penske, you can win the Indianapolis 500 and you could be the drizzling shits for the rest of your career. Doesn't matter. Willpower is a douche. He won the Indy 500. He wins polls. And he's had, he hasn't been anywhere near as good the last few years as he was before. But he won the Indy 500. So he, he's never going to get fired. Simon Pagano, no, granted, I think that's as much to do with the fact that John Menard is his sponsor. He also won the Indy 500. Between the sponsor and the fact he won the Indy 500, they're never getting rid of him. And also now you can add the fact that Penske has added Porsche, the Porsche sports car program. So no matter what happens, Simon Pagano is not leaving Penske for a long time. He's going to go from driving this Indy car to driving the Porsche program so he can go win Le Mans as a French driver. That's what this whole thing is moving on. And probably will have Menard on the car for all I know. But uh, that's they both have won the Indy 500. That's permanent thing. Until last year, Elio Castroneves has been employed by Roger Penske for like 20-something years. He won three Indy 500s for him. He didn't even bother to pay taxes. He comes back and he goes and wins the Indy 500. I mean, it, it's he's won. And, and I mean, and I I would have said for many years I would have been like, oh, he's only a two-time Indy 500 winner. But considering he beat Paul Tracy for one of them, knowing what we know about Paul Tracy, it's fine. He's a three-time Indy 500. Um, and he never had a problem with his thing. Uh, Jill DeFerrin wins one. I think he quit after that, but then he came back to drive sports cars. Sam Hornish Jr. One, in, one basically took Marco Andretti's soul, won the Indy 500, and was allowed to suck in a cup car for like three years or four years for Penske. You know, like that's the thing. For Roger Penske, that's the thing. So for Joseph Newgarden, he knows. The only thing that's holding him back from like lifetime not ever getting fired by Roger Penske is the Indy 500. Um, he's one of the best young talents, American talents we've had in the last 25, 30 years. He's marketable. He's personable. He is the Penske driver. He's the closest thing to Rick Mears or Allen or Jr. They've had since Rick Mears and Allen or Jr. This race, if he can come from 21st and win it, would be the defining moment of his career for so many reasons and it would take a big weight off of his shoulders and any also for all intents and purposes just like joey logano would be they'd be the two pillars of penske racing for freaking next decade plus you know they everybody knows who's the two guys that everybody knows at penske or they're going to mark with penske it's going to be joe Newgarden and logano but who else are you looking at uh Josh, in regards to people that we should be looking for within that 10 through 30 range. Yeah, I think for that range, I'll, I'll have to agree with you with Rossi because in years past, in 2019, 2018, when he came from the back of the field and drove angry, and in 2018, he had those great set of restarts where he was on the outside line and basically passed 10 cars and 
in turn one and in turn two. And then, you know, 2019, he had the problem with the, his pit stops with the fuel filler. And you saw him trying to pass Oriole Servia on the front stretch and shake his fist outside the, uh, the cockpit, which was really entertaining. So if something like that happens again, where they have some kind of issue that drops him to the back of the field, definitely look out for him to drive angrily throughout the field and try to make it back up to the front. Uh, I think that's always going to be a thing with him just driving angrily through the field. Of course, that could cost him and maybe he gets a little too aggressive and wrecks himself or puts himself in a bad spot and crashes or something like that. So uh, that's something to look out for too. But yeah, I'll go a little bit different here. Uh, I'm going to go with Pato Award as somebody to look out for. You know, he's already won Texas and had a good showing uh, there with uh, Aaron McLaren. And I think they've had good pace as well throughout uh, practice uh, throughout the month of May. And they seem to have uh, good race pace as well. So I think uh, he could be a, another guy to look out for um, that's not in the fast nine. Um, that's somebody that could end up maybe winning the race or getting you know within the, the top 10. Uh, I think Connor Daly is another driver that we have to look out for too. Uh, a little bit surprising that they qualified 19th uh, for an Ed Carpenter car. I mean, don't have to say that all of them would qualify in the fast nine, but certainly maybe qualified where Alexander Rossi qualified. So that's something that you have to be a little concerned for uh, as far as qualifying pace goes. But I think race pace, they've been up there in the charts as well. So I think they could be a, another dark horse that's not starting in the fast nine. Um, I think Sebastian Bourdais, maybe another driver that could uh, have a good run starting from 27th. Uh, Simon Pagano, we've already talked about him. I think he might end up being the best uh, Team Penske car there at the end, but we'll have to see. I think they've shown some good pace. And then I'll bring up, uh, I mean, the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, I was going to start out with Will Power, but that's the next group, I guess, uh, in in the last three or the last row. But uh, all these drivers, I think, could have a chance to, that I mentioned, could have a chance to be in you know the podium or in the top 10 at least at the end of the, the day on Sunday. So definitely uh, a lot of fast cars that maybe weren't good in qualifying, but definitely could have uh, a lot of race pace uh, as far as the Sunday will go. Yeah, and we can go from there. I mean, Will Power was the guy, uh, along with Simona, the one lady in the race, Simona Di Silvestro with Peretta Autosport, Beth Peretta who's involved with uh, SRT, uh, the Viper program and all the Dodge Motorsports programs for a while. Uh, she's off running her own IndyCar team now. A lot of women uh, in uh, big roles on that team. It's a Penske affiliate. Those were the two cars that got all the headlines uh, not being in the locked-in field. And it was sketchy. Uh, for Will Powery at the fence on Sunday in his one run, trying to make the show, and uh, but he did. And then Simona Di Silvestro, I think she ran about four or five qualified runs and never really found speed. I think she got close on one of the runs on Saturday, but otherwise it was a struggle. But in the end, they were 32nd and 33rd. I mentioned uh, Sage Karam briefly there earlier because 
they had uh, Alexander Rossi, I think his girlfriend, Connor Daly combing his mullet, and Marco Andretti uh, there. And I think Marco Andretti's wife was probably hidden somewhere around there, uh, all sitting there supporting their buddy, uh, in Marco's case, a fellow uh, Nazareth, Pennsylvania guy in Sage Karam, who was the fastest qualifier in the Sunday uh, bump day uh, debacle, because at the end of the day, they might as well have just done it the same way as the uh, fast nine. And hopefully that's what they'll do again, because at the end of the day, there was no there. The way they have the rules set up, the rules didn't make they didn't explain the rules well with the way the qualifying was set up on Saturday. And then on Sunday, you're like, oh, you get unlimited runs, but they can't cool the car down quick enough. You can't cool the car down. So you're basically saying there's no point. It's only one run. Uh, If you really want them to have multiple runs, let them cool the damn car down and let them try again. You know, or it's like, they're like, well, if they, they are, they're going to un- they'll remove their time because they're going to make all these adjustments. Like it shouldn't matter at the end of the day, you want drama. You're making it happen on Sunday for a reason. And you made it an hour and a half session. You should allow them to do whatever the hell they need to do to go and, and make the show. Um, I also think that in the sense of safety, when it comes to willpower, he hit the fence. I'm, I mean, I'm not questioning the guy. The guy is nutty. And he ain't he's ain't working with a full deck on multiple levels. But the fact of the matter is, I know he would have went out there with a with a towed out right rear wheel, and he would have went back out there and he would have tried to run again. Uh, and he probably would have ran faster than Jimbo Kimball and and RC Anderson anyway. But you know that's a safety thing to me. I I don't know some of the things they do with IndyCar. I don't understand in the grand scheme but you know that's fine it's probably part of the reason why they wonder why nobody else nobody watches other than the indy 500 and even with the indy 500 they bring miss hummer on to have her um ah you know say nothing of value but because she has a vagina and she sucked and fucked everybody in motorsport to get there then we need her around to show up once a year to go and talk about her yoga and her wine and whatever other business she's going to push on Sunday during that freaking broadcast. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say one thing about the qualifying and Latart was a waste, but Jimmy Johnson was great. Um, I've become this underground Jimmy Johnson fan. And the fact of the matter is he's, he's really, really good. Uh, if CBS is looking to have somebody work, for broadcasts on the side, at least for uh, the non oval races, but, but I do think he's going to run Indy. I think after what he saw on Saturday and sitting there, I think he's running Indy next year. Um, that's going to be the thing. That'll be one of his walk off shots. He's going to do the Dale Earnhardt, like the way Dale Earnhardt wanted to walk off in his career, minus Indy, of course. I mean, there was rumors he was going to run Indy, but, you know, made it way back when, but that didn't come off based on Brock Beard. But I think Jimmy runs Indy one time, then he goes and runs sports cars for the rest of his career, and that'll make him happy. Uh, But, yeah, Winge Power, William Power, almost missing the show. I mean, not really. When you boil it down, he really wasn't going to miss the show. 
but to be outside of the top 30 in a Penske car had all the had had all the feels of 1995 former Indy 500 winner former front row sitter at the Indianapolis 500 to be struggling that bad and to be in a state of just shock and panic for the guy they kept on saying the most prolific qualifier in the last 20 years of IndyCar racing he might miss the show and like it was crazy he he almost missed the show because he hit the fence you know that it was that close for willpower and also for Simona who's had a star-crossed um career at the speedway got burned badly has had major accidents uh she's an amazing road racer and she's been underemployed in a lot of ways especially in IndyCar um now she's a Porsche factory driver so she's definitely not underemployed anymore but she only races the ADAC which is racing at the you know the Nürburgring and other Enduros um, we don't get to see her here in the United States but um at l- hopefully this Pareto Autosport deal comes off and then she's able to be here because that would be cool because she was great road she's a great road racer and when she's been given great equipment uh, she's been able to perform and and do what what she needs to do um and beat some really good drivers that are still in this sport through still in the series so those are the two that stood out and of course you know uh, uh charlie kimball took it on the chin and went and joked around with his wife's like hey you want to do you have any plans for sunday want any to do something on sunday so for going and missing the indy 500 and to literally be able to joke around about it right afterwards is shows the perspective he has in uh his life and everything with his family and then enerson they were a wild card at best he would have had to buddy luzier put take all the wing out of it and basically try to make that thing into a rocket for him to make the show but considering where they started in april to where they were a month later to be within you know a second is uh with four days of practice and having the problems they had uh is admirable we'll see what happens with rc Anderson. he's a guy that has not had uh the most luck in regards to getting a proper ride in indycar but he has driven indycar driven races and been good but we'll see what happens with this top gun racing if they'll show up at say gateway bigger gateway might be an idea for them here a couple months time get some time to um put everything together and show up to a race and uh do a proper race and see what happens with that but um yeah the the uh, bump day group definitely had the intrigue with them two penske cars and credit to sage karen for putting a great run out there on on uh sunday after probably not uh, their greatest Saturday they probably wanted to lock themselves in I mean they all did but I think they had pace to lock themselves in and they just didn't have it on Saturday unfortunately yeah I think for Sage Karam obviously disappointing that they were in the last group there on Sunday and had to qualify their way into the show but looking at the times compared to Will Power and Simone de Silvestro obviously they didn't really have to struggle that much to um, make it into the show. In fact, if you reordered it by fastest speeds, they would have been 
a position ahead in 30th and would have taken Dalton Kellett's spot if they had had that speed on Saturday. But for them, I think on Sunday, they've, they've been kind of a team that's had sort of good success at any in the past where they've been somewhat towards the front, you know, running like top 10 or in the, the top 15 and somewhere in that range. So they could be another team that makes it up through the field, but uh, we'll have to see with this package, especially with passing being fairly difficult as it is. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what they can do uh, on Sunday. But I think obviously the, the biggest story in qualifying was Will Power uh, not having the speed at all. And especially for a Team Penske car being that low in the qualifying order, uh, definitely not the look that they want and definitely the biggest disappointment for Penske. But I know that they did have the best time in second practice for the race earlier in the month of May. So I think they could be another team that makes their way up through the field. Uh, but again, it's going to be a, a tough, tough uh, run being able to do that. And I, I have heard some people say that Team Penske might have the best cars in terms of race trim, but that's uh, definitely a question mark because we've, you know, with Chip Ganassi, with the way that they've been so far and during this month, it uh, looks like those cars are the cars to beat. So we'll have to see. And then, of course, with Simona Di Silvestro um, making the race, the last car in the field, definitely for, for uh, that team, that's a, uh, achievement being able to qualify into the field uh, especially being you know the first all-female led team and female driver to make it into the uh, 500 like that that's a pretty good achievement and I mean they have a similar car to Penske but definitely maybe not the same type of pace but uh, comparatively speaking uh, we'll have to see where they land on Sunday and and uh, what they can do because uh they, they probably have, you know, um, some notes to share with uh, Penske and all, all those guys and um, figure out what they need to do to make their car handle on Sunday. So uh, be on the lookout. Maybe they might be a, a dark horse candidate for like a, a 20th place run or, you know, 17th place or something like that on the, on the grid at the end of the race. Yeah, top half finish. If they're able to finish, uh, get clean pit stops, whatever, but get a top half of the field finish would be – like a win uh, and hopefully put them in line to possibly run a couple more races here at the end of the season. Uh, Will Power, I mean, he has his contract, so he's going to be uh, there for at least another year or a couple of years or some crap like that. But um, that's kind of what humbles you, kind of sets you down. They've, there's a lot of these guys, Ryan Hunter Ray missed the race a few years ago and had to go and borrow a car from A.J. Foyt. Uh, you know, there, there's Tony Kanan almost missed the show to be on the final row. You know, like, a lot of these guys have had to go through it, and it's not good. Uh, it's not, I mean, Karam basically does it every year because it seems like he's last row Charlie guy. Uh, but, you know, what? how will Will Power respond uh, from the last row, what can he do and what can Penske do in general? I think they talk about it. They're selling it as Penske had the pace during practice. I think Andretti Autosport kind of held back a little bit. You figure those are the, I mean, those are the big three. Those big three, Ganassi's been the fastest, of course, in qualifying, but Ganassi had good pace 
in in the Sunday practice. Uh, there's there's a lot. I mean, my thinking is if you're telling me who to pick, who I'm going to pick, I mean, of course I'm going to pick the nine car, but I, I would, what would be good for uh, the IndyCar series in general is Joseph Newgarden winning the Indianapolis 500 uh, or having somebody like young or marketable, young and marketable also, um, younger, either a Pat no, Pato Award or Colton Herta, uh, those are the people that if they win the race, that can move the needle a little bit. Uh, that'll get people who want to watch Detroit the following week. Uh, but will it happen? We don't know. Do I think that the Joseph Newgarden can come from the seventh row and do it? Yes, because he drives for Penske and he's one of the best drivers has been in recent years. Uh, I think Rossi's going to stand in the way too, um, and that would be—he's—he. I mean, the problem is he kind of needs help to be a character, but the fact of the matter is he's tough. So there's a lot of guys that can win this race, and it's going to be a tough 500 miles. I think the way they've messed with this arrow, it sounds like it's more like the initial DW12 kind of arrow package there's got bits of that where a little bit of drafting super speedway kind of you know you know lots of passing but then it's kind of going to be hard to pass so you know it's going to be a proper deal you have to actually earn this one it isn't going to be as processional as it has been since they went to the uh common kit uh that's kind of where when they redid the kits on these cars they kind of mess with it to where they aren't as as good at indie and there were some great races and personally they'll be like oh well those are like super speedway races i'm like well the fact is you could have super speedway races and actually have some entertainment or uh, in an entertainment aspect but then there is a driving skill that's involved in doing that june bug made his whole entire career on on that skill really uh and I don't think they're taking away the Indy 500 from the likes of uh, Tony Kanaan or Dario Franchitti or, or Brian Hunter Ray or Juan Pablo Montoya because they were running it with that format compared to what the heck they had. I'm trying to remember who won. I'll go and look it up. But, yeah, that's the Indy 500, and it'll be Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, uh, pre-race and everything, and then the – race will start around 12 o'clock or just after 12 o'clock and 12 uh, 12 wow so it's an hour they're doing they're an hour and 45 minute pre-race really jesus um that's a bit much they used to be they used to get the race started after that first hour but now they're just delaying it especially that's great for uh, i love tv in that sense you have all that bullshit going on but get the damn race started i mean Especially, I bet you if there was somebody running, trying to run the double, they wouldn't be doing that. They'd have got that thing started at 12 o'clock. But uh, no, we can't do that. Uh, once Kyle Larson becomes marketable again, I bet he'll run the double. Um, find some freaking rent direct place to sponsor him or some med- medication like whoever's on Rick Ware's car, they can probably sponsor him. And he can go run the double or some shit. Uh, We'll go into 
the Monaco Grand Prix. That's a great transition. Uh, going to the Monaco Grand Prix, which saw Max Verstappen dominate and uh, destroy. We talked about it on the, I was on the post-race uh, recap on the the Grid Talk podcast, and there wasn't a whole hell of a lot to talk about, really, because uh, Max Verstappen got the start, led from start to finish. He was pushed initially by Valtteri Botas until Botas had an uh, issue on his pit stop and they couldn't get the right front tire off. And uh, that was basically it. You know, Lewis Hamilton started seventh and then ended up seventh because of they tried to do an undercut and the undercut failed miserably. And that, what is it? It worked out. I think Sergio, he got passed by Sergio Perez and Sebastian Vettel. And then he was the last car in the lead lap too, which is pretty brutal. That you had those are those are some of the things I went on there. I mean, the fact is Charles Leclerc qualifies on pole on Saturday in a very tight qualifying session where it looked like we're Verstappen, uh, Carlos Sainz, I think Lando. There's a couple like two, three other people that all thought that they really could have qualified on pole or something. Not land, yeah. Lando was up there. I think, or Botas, yeah. Botas also thought he had a chance if he was able to get that last slap in, but he crashed after setting the pole lap, and Ferrari took a risk in um, running the car as once they repaired it uh, as is, and then once they actually tried to get the car going, they couldn't get the car going and uh, left the monogast driver to get out of his race car and go and acknowledge his fans as somebody as a spectator because yet again he didn't get to finish the monaco grand prix because he never got to start this monaco grand prix when he qualified on poles so it's crazy his luck at monaco it's similar to it's like if you have a home game or you race your home race and bad things happen like senna at brazil until 91 and even 91 he didn't even have a working gearbox by the end of that race but he somehow or another won that race so it took him i don't know how many years seven eight nine years or whatever to win that race so i mean there a lot of craziness went on you know within the race but the race itself was basically a processional uh deal that was done on saturday for the most part yeah i think for qualifying on saturday that was the most interesting aspect of the entire weekend and Leclerc was got the fastest lap in qualifying in Q3 and then wrecked it and for him I mean that that basically killed his weekend possibly I mean Ferrari did say that they didn't think that the part that broke the uh left drive shaft they think that was a separate issue and that didn't have to do with what happened in qualifying but uh who knows I mean it probably would have been just better to have a car that didn't uh or, or start with a new car i guess and and forfeit the pole but for verstappen uh, led the ra entire race and takes the lead in the points championship and gives him uh a leg up uh, against lewis hamilton and puts him back into contention so 
good run for him. And then also uh, Carlos Sainz finishing second and um, Lando Norris in third. Uh, good good runs for them. Um, yeah, I think for, for Red Bull, this is probably what they need to get back in the title. And also for the constructors, helps them. So, you know, good for them. And I'm sure, you know, I, I heard uh, Christian Horner has a lucky toilet that he goes to before uh, every race. So whichever toilet he used at Monaco must have been a really, really lucky toilet there. So that uh, definitely helped him probably. Um, I think for Botas, it's a diff- uh, definitely a dis- disappointing result uh, for him uh, running second at Monaco and then come to get your tires changed and then find out that the right front basically has fused itself. Uh, the wheel hub fused itself to the axle and can't change the tire. So you're out of the race there. So it's definitely disappointing. And then Lewis basically was seventh all weekend. Um, look at the, the charts. He was seventh in like two of the practices and then in, throughout qualifying was seventh and then finished, started and finished the race in seventh. And like you said, tried to do the undercut, but it didn't work. And uh, they just were completely off the entire weekend. So uh, really bad weekend for Mercedes. And we'll have to look, uh, see what went wrong there and try to recover and bounce back at Baku. Uh, the, you know, the rest of the field, uh, Ricardo definitely should have had a better run uh, than what he did. And kind of a whatever weekend for him. He didn't have good pace throughout the weekend in practice and then in qualifying. And then he got lapped by his teammate in the race. So I, you know, I think that's extremely disappointing for him uh, to have a weekend like that, especially with uh, the car that they had for both of them, uh, the special paint scheme with uh, golf on that car, really nice paint job, but uh, for Norris, a good run there uh, running uh, third, but then uh, Ricardo finishing on the lead off the lead lap and uh, being lapped by his teammates and uh, incredibly disappointing. And then I think, you know, the rest of the field, like, uh, Vettel managed to finish uh, good as well and, and finished in fifth place. And then Gasly as well, finishing ahead of uh, Lewis Hamilton. And then, you know, uh, Raikkonen also finished in 11th uh, and Giovinazzi finishing in 10th. So a good run for the Alfa Romeo team. Uh, you know, I heard uh, Kimi had issues with his drink. So classic Kimi there having issues uh, with the drink during the race. Uh, which has happened in the past, including his one try in NASCAR, you know, a decade ago. And, you know, I think for the rest of the teams, Alonzo, you know, had a uh, bad run again and finished a uh, lap down. Uh, you know, Sonoda didn't have a, a good run for himself either. Um, I think probably would have expected him to have a lead lap finish uh, compared to his teammate or finish closer to his teammate, but didn't have a, a good run. And then, uh, of course, at the end, you know, again, Valtteri Bottas uh, not getting points and then Leclerc not even starting the race. It has to be really disappointing for both of those guys not getting the results they wanted. But overall, I mean, it was definitely a processional race. And then, of course, like Lewis said in his post-race, I mean, it's basically a processional race. And even if you're leading, it's kind of a dull race. Yeah, but you have to keep the thing off the wall. And I mean, egghead not hitting anybody or anything was he probably got paid in extra rubles or whores or whatever they pay him. Vladdy pays him with, um, in fact, he didn't wreck his teammate on lap one was something he actually outqualified his teammate because Mick was having problems this car all weekend. 
So all kinds of first for egghead there. I think that'll go right back to the other way uh, at Baku uh, next week, but we will see. I mean, yeah, Vettel getting a fifth place. The way right now you look at the points standings, Verstappen, as you mentioned, uh, took the points lead big. I think it was about a 14-point shift there from Lewis Hamilton had the lead to now he's a four-point deficit. So something around or 14, 18, some, some number like that. Uh, so big shift in points, uh, one more podium for Max, of course, uh, even though he has uh, the one and one, but one less one, one less win. And then after that, the points are much closer. Norris and Botas are separated by nine points for third. Then you have Perez, Leclerc, and Carlos Sainz separated by six points. And then for fifth through seventh, then Ricardo, and who has been a Monaco master at times, I think they're building him a new chassis because this car has not suited him very well through five races, uh, building him a new chassis for this next race to see if that'll help him. He's kind of in no man's land in his own world. Uh, in eighth, Gasly, Ocon, Vettel, and Stroll are separated by seven points. And uh, with Vettel's scoring those points on Sunday, a big deal for him there. And uh, what was it? Yeah, that was his first points of the year, too. So big, big finish for him. Big finish for Aston Martin to get both of their cars in the points because of um, what it did for constructors. Um, the only and then Giovinazzi getting that one point helps with Alfa Romeo's chase ahead of Williams and the uh, uh, Putin Haas cars. Uh, the constructor standings now after the horrible weekend for Mercedes has Red Bull up by one point, then the 149 to 148. Then in the from third and fourth, McLaren has a two point lead on Ferrari. Then you have fifth through seventh is separated by two points. Aston Martin's up by one over AlphaTauri. He was up by one on Alpine. So you basically have the three tiers there. And then tier four, Alpha getting Alpha Romeo getting their first point goes and gives them the edge over Williams and Putin Haas. Williams ahead of Putin Haas because they have the higher race finish amongst their two drivers. Uh, we'll go from the Monaco Grand Prix to Coda. Uh, Circuit of the Americas having their first race, which uh, for first cup race or first race NASCAR races um, in, I guess, in lieu of the fact that Formula One and other series haven't uh, been racing there recently. Uh, so they're running the NASCAR race. It also was basically replacing one of the Texas races. So I guess on that, in that sense, it's a positive because it's getting rid of a race at Texas Motor Speedway. But for what actually took place on Sunday itself, it wasn't great at all, mainly because of the rain. Uh, it definitely left a lot to be desired. 
William Clyde Elliott II, who is now the road race king, uh, takes a rain-shortened race win there at Coda after multiple stoppages due to having to uh, clear the track of, of water, uh, the rain and everything, the spray. You had all kinds of issues of visibility, multiple wrecks that were caused. Um, that was, but he was up front. I think Logano had a fast car and Kyle Busch was trying to get the double there. A lot of guys led laps during this race, but Logano and Kyle Busch seemed to be up there. Uh, Logano got this, boy, they got the two stage wins. Um, Clyde was second in the second stage. Reddick, who qualified on pole, he got his first pole. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be a, a Bush, Bush clash next year, but um, if there is, then he's the second candidate in the race because what is it? It's Alex Bowman and him that have qualified for the Bush clash. Uh, so there is that. Um, not other guys that all got stage points, but. Really, as you look at the top 10, the vast majority, the only person who was in who scored points in both stages that didn't get a finish was Austin Sindrick, who was doing really, really well early in the race in the rain, better than anybody. And uh, But once he lost the track position, he really had a hard time getting it back. I think they had some issues on pit stops, uh, which affected him there. But Gumby uh, put on a good run. And with what's going on with the two car, the Brad Keselowski, I would assume that um, the son of the president of uh, Team Penske is going to be in the two car next year. So pressure will definitely be on old uh, Gumby to perform immediately, considering uh, you'll have uh, Joey Logano, who's the lead dog there, and then whether I probably Blaney will still be in the 12. I mean, maybe they'll swap. I don't know. I'm, I'm they, I guess they have equity with the 12 car with Blaney, but they, they could also just swap them out with the two. It really wouldn't make a damn difference because, but we'll, we'll see about that. That's beside the point, but uh, the top 10 was Elliot Larson, Logano, Ross Chastain, who had a great weekend or tried to have a good weekend. He was going to, he qualified that, Joe Graff Jr. piece of shit that we'll talk about in the Xfinity uh, up front, and then the car broke immediately. So that's all you need to know. So they'll say, oh, it's not Joe Graff's fault. I'm like, well, he still sucks. Uh, AJ Adderall-Mendinger finished fifth for College Racing. Chase Briscoe gets his first top ten of his cup career. And sixth, McDowell, Alex Bowman, Tyler Reddick, Kyle Bush, your top 10. So um, other guys that stood out, I guess we have to mention there was big wrecks uh, with uh, Bubba Wallace, Christopher Bell, and Kevin Harvick due to rain on the backstretch. Then there was a Cole Custer, Martin Truex wreck later. Then you had Quinn Huff, who I think hit everything but the lottery. got parked for damaged vehicle policy. Daniel Suarez had bad luck uh, there, got ran into by, I think, Quinoff, I believe, and a couple other people, which um, ended up affecting his day. 
you have some other guys, like Kurt Busch, had issues, whether it's pit stops, whatever. You know, D Burrito, Corey LaJoy actually got, wow, he got stage points. Good for him. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, interesting race for sure, I guess, if you like Carnage. Uh, but Clyde goes and gets the win there uh, on Sunday, Josh. Yeah, I think for Clyde finally getting his first win, and of course, was going to be at a road course uh, at Coda, so the inaugural race forever will be known as the uh, race that Chase Elliott won at Coda, but uh, it was not definitely a race where he dominated. I mean, we've seen him in the past at road courses completely dominate, like when they went to Daytona last year, but for him, uh, this uh, gives him a, a win, locks him into the chase. So that's a, a good result for him. Kyle Larson finishing second, led laps too, and he could have been a, a contender at the end if it if they were able to get back into the race and able to stay green and, and uh, you know return from the rain. But of course, that wasn't the issue. Um, and then Kyle Busch probably probably should have uh, had an opportunity there at the end. They they led a, a bunch of laps and won a stage, and the race on Saturday definitely helped them uh, with the preparation. But just uh, the you know the visibility and pit strategy just didn't work out for them at the end there. Um, but I think you know the biggest issue was with the visibility with the uh, the cars, and at various points it was heavy rain and rooster tails affecting visibility, uh, you know, from the cars uh, and. At one point, you know, they had to change uh, the restart uh, procedure and go from double file restarts back to single file restarts. You know, the old style that we had before 2009, and definitely a, a kind of a throwback element there, I guess. But uh, it, I guess, it helped them as far as trying to finish the race to you know where they could. But ultimately, the rain just uh, stopped them, and it looks like NASCAR is getting a, a lot of criticism because of how they handled the race and uh, maybe they shouldn't have been running like that in the rain. So I uh, have to wonder what they do next uh, and how, how do they, uh, I guess, help the, the series if they ever run into this, which they probably will, they're going to be racing on road courses uh, for a long time, uh, how, the, how they uh, should improve the conditions or improve their ability to race in those conditions should they decide to race in that uh, in the future. These cars, uh, they're not built for, uh, rain like this despite using the rain tires and you know they they don't have uh the same i guess features that road course cars have uh being able to race like this uh they probably need to implement you know some kind of uh you know headlights or uh fog lights to use on the front bumper if they're going to race like this in the rain uh you know something to keep the rear windshield the front windows from fogging up as well because uh, I feel like a lot of the stuff that they use for NASCAR is definitely a kind of a makeshift uh, patchwork uh, type of thing where it it's basically kind of there, but you know they don't really uh, use it just because uh, it, it's not the best technology, I guess, to use for racing in the rain. So maybe with this new car, with some of the elements that they have uh, that could be upgradable or interchangeable, maybe they can implement that in, in the future. Um, if they decide to do that and then I think for the, the rain when it gets too hard obviously they have to stop and I think in the middle of the race when it was pouring down pretty heavily and it's probably it should have been a, a chance to 
red flag the race. And, you know, a, a lot of drivers are uh, angry about it. You know, Kevin Harvick was obviously one of the most angry about the race, but you know, I feel like at the same time, I mean, NASCAR also races at Talladega and Daytona, and we have, you know, about the same level of carnage there. And you know, I think at this point, the drivers have come to accept it. So I think racing in the rain, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't really that outraged about it, but uh, you know, I think for the drivers probably need to be able to uh, have better chances for safety and maybe not race like that, but they probably should have uh, better equipped cars to, to be able to race like that. Yeah, that's the point right there about having the equipment necessary to race the car properly and do it safely. Uh, I mean, racing in Talladega and Daytona is not racing safely. It's just stupid, but that's that's a separate discussion. We've had that, I think, on here. Uh, they'll never like that because I don't count that as racing. I don't count them driving and basically not being able to see as racing either. And that's that's just strictly illogical. Um, that back straightaway, you have these cautions. If you're going to have a stage break, go and take a couple of freaking jet dryers, blow the damn thing off. You know, you have those fucking Rick Weir pieces of shit. Let them go and do something. You know, like there there's cars that are out there that have no business being out there. Make them useful. You know, if they're not going to race properly, at least use them for something else. You know, that that if you really want to make it, a sh if it's going to be WWE and you want to show, then you should at least to give the opportunity for the drivers to actually put on a show. Uh, yeah, the defoggers, having proper lights, uh, you know, I think those are two things that would have to really be implemented, especially on road courses, uh, you know, to for for visibility. I mean, the lack of visibility in these cars is its own thing. I mean, it, it's a part to do with the seats. Of course, you have no, you can't move your head either way. Basically, you can't see out the sides because of the safety aspect. You think at this point in 2021, they could do something with the headrests or they could have like a camera, you know, the way that they have in GT cars or in prototype sports cars for that matter where they have a camera panoramic one or whatever, you could basically have it as a mirror back reverse cam kind of deal. Like you're telling me you can't have that. I mean, you talk about, they have all this bullshit with, with the RTA. Go and put fricking mirror, put some sort of camera system in there so that you can actually see it's, it's, it's not that tough. Uh, but they'd make it tough because it's NASCAR. But, uh, you know, that's, that is what it is with that. Clyde gets the win and moves himself up to sixth in the playoff standings. He is only six points behind his teammate, Kyle Larson, for fourth. All the Hendrick cars have now won. Uh, the two drivers that stand out that haven't won are regular season points leader Dennis Hamlin and of course Kevin Harvick who won nine races last year was knocked out of the race on Sunday but Kevin Harvick right now is eighth in regular point standings uh 30 points behind Blaney but and six points out of Brad and Kyle meaning Kyle Busch 
so those he's in competitive position. He's fine. Uh, you have Austin Dillon, Chris Busher, and Tyler Reddick are the last three drivers that haven't. Those are the last three drivers that are um, without a win. So Tyler Reddick is the cutoff. McDowell is five points behind him, but locked in because of his Daytona 500 win. The uh, current uh, battle to get into the top 16 sees Matt Benedetto, who is it, 38 points behind Tyler Reddick. And uh, Kurt Busch is a further 10 points behind that. Uh, Stenhouse, so it's 15 points. So, yeah, so 15, and you got 20 there. So, Ross Chastain is starting to make a move forward. So, the Ganassi cars might be getting on a little bit of a, I mean, not as much Kurt Busch. There was a random rumor that he was retiring. It was from a fake account. Honestly, the reality is it is going to be Kurt Busch's last year in Cup for all intents and purposes because they haven't signed an extension with him, I don't think, as of yet. Uh, and I would figure whether it's like a Justin Haley or Rockshot Jones or somebody in the Xfinity series that has money, uh, there's somebody that'll probably go and give Ganassi a deal, go out there and wreck race cars every week. Uh, he doesn't give a crap anyway, so it's, that's why his cup team is the way it's always been, or mostly been. Uh, so... But Chastain's making some good runs here recently, and I think that's a positive sign considering how bad that car's been for more or less the last couple of years. Uh, except for, you know, I think the one a couple of years ago, uh, Larson went on, won that Dover race and had a decent finish in points before he went and uh, hard art himself out of that car, hard art himself into a better car. And then, um, but for Chastain, that's a good thing. We'll see what happens at Charlotte with the practice of the 600. In the Xfinity race, Kyle Busch won. That's, that's it. Kyle Busch won. The internet's going Kyle bad. Bush won. Yeah, that internet's unstable, of course. Kyle Busch won. Uh, the, let me just go over it just for the sake of people who actually want information you can't just go and leave it as kyle bush one but um, bring that up right here kyle bush won his 98th xfinity race of his career yeah led more or less the entire race and you had aj allmendinger in second allgaier third harvick driving for blowjob mcclaude in fourth Austin Sindrick in fifth. Harrison Burton, Cold Custard, uh, driving a Rick Ware car in seventh. Tyler Reddick, driving for Jordan Anderson and the Jordan Anderson team making their Xfinity Series debut, uh, finishing eighth after he started. So those two guys started in the top five with Kyle Busch. And uh, what is it? LeBay, Alex LeBay actually qualified fourth in the Goslin number 36. He's a road racing specialist in a sense, cast car driver. And Ross Chastain, as I mentioned, had actually qualified second in the Bobby Dodder 07 car, the same Bobby Dodder 07 car that with 
uh, Joe Graff Jr. was, I think, three or four seconds off the pace. And then he um, had some knee problem or some illness or probably was trying to find balls. And then next thing you know, uh, he couldn't drive the car. And uh, so that was an upgrade there. But then they had a mechanical issue of some sort. And that went away real quick. Austin Dillon got uh, the Bassett car into the uh, race for the first time. The 77 was a Preston Pardis was driving an extra car for Goslin. You had some other people in there. Some interesting guys, but yeah, Kyle Busch won. I don't know. Do you have anything else other than that? Kyle Busch won. Okay. I, think, I, I, I tried to make it seem more interesting than it was, but that's it. Uh, the guys that failed to qualify uh, out of that race were Jeffrey Earnhardt in the zero, 78 of Jesse Little, the two uh, Harmon cars, the 61 for, uh, was it Carl Long and the Shiggy Akiatori car, and then uh, two Mario Goslin cars of Josh Williams and Cesar Baccarella. Uh, Noah Gagson blew an engine early in the race. Uh, was it the Paluto had a rear gear issue? A shame for him in those limited races. Chris Wright had mechanical problems. He had a camera, too, uh, that race. Boris said was literally the last car. He had mechanical problems. 58 years old. Said had here uh, struggled. He made the show, but then struggled in the race. Daniel Hemrick had a nightmare. Uh, lost a lot of points. Uh, as it stands right now, Sindrick uh, has a huge... A uh, 77-point lead on Harrison Burton, 81 on A.J. Allmendinger, and Daniel Hemrick is fourth, 88 points behind. So that's, I mean, they're really right now, I'm trying to think about who the heck has wins in the Xfinity Series. Ain't that many people have wins in the Xfinity Series. But um, you got, yeah, you got, Sindrick, Almendinger, and Justin Allgaier. So Allgaier would be second in points. Then you have AJ Almendinger would be third. And those are, and uh, Myatt Snyder would be fourth. So those would be the top four right now. Then you'd have Harrison Burton, Daniel Hemrick, Jeb Burton would be the next three. That'd be seven. Then Haley eighth, Clements ninth, Gags in tenth. Michael Annette and Bruckshot Jones would be the top 12. So even though Bruckshot Jones, Michael Annette, Noah Gagson have all basically been shitting the bed, uh, they're, they have no competition. The Xfinity series right now is basically those 12 guys. Uh, Brandon Brown is trying to make the, he's 26 points out. And then you have Riley Herbst, who's 41 points out in 14th. So there you go. That's the same team, basically the same equipment that won nine races last year. And now they're basically a race out of uh, 
out of the playoff right now. Tells you all you need to know and the difference between having a driver and having a ride buyer. In terms of driver ride buyer, uh, you have somebody who drives for his dad uh, because Kyle Busch didn't want him anymore. Uh, but uh, Todd Gillen goes and gets a win, crucial win for him in the points, chase for him to try to possibly get a truck series championship for the front row David Gillen organization. He's only the third or fourth driver to win this year. Uh, of course, only been nine races, but Hunter, John Hunter, Ben Rhodes, Sheldon Creed, and now Todd Gillen is the fourth winner. Ten drivers make this playoff. So Austin Hill's the best driver that hasn't won a race yet. Then it's basically what it is. Everybody else is in order, general order. Carson Hosevar is 10 points ahead of Johnny Sauter and 26 points ahead of Self. Chandler Smith is 45 points out and 13th. So that's, and Ancrum's 47 points out. So that's basically where it is. 14 drivers for 10 spots in the truck series. Uh, Gillen won over Kaz Grala, Ancrum, who was looking for that crucial win. Enfinger running the uh, Robaw number nine, fourth, Creed in fifth, Sam Mayer in sixth, running those limited races, Osovar in seventh, Zane Smith eighth, Hill ninth, Ben Rhodes tenth, John Hunter Nemechek finished twelfth, Crafton had stage points in both stages, but then finished fifteenth. And that's basically it. I mean, it was a little more of an intriguing race. There was a lot more weather, whatever kind of issues, but it was a relatively tame deal uh, Saturday afternoon, considering the dry race had, that was the boar fest, and the truck race had a little more intrigue. There was three drivers that were really up front. But um, credit to Todd Gillen and that team to put a good truck together and get himself locked into this playoff. Yeah, I think, for, for that team, you know, they, they had a penalty earlier in the race with the uh, Timney crewmen over the wall, and then uh, they were able to come back from that and uh, be able to win that race. So uh, that's an incredible comeback on the road course. And you, know, you talked about the difference in racing, this one being a tame race, but not a bore fest uh, like Xfinity and, and not a, a total shit show like the cup race was. And I think for a lot of fans, that's probably... Uh, what the truck race, how how that race ended up as a race, I think that's probably what people were expecting for Cup on Sunday, uh, and at least some people were able to see that kind of racing on on Saturday with the trucks. Um, but uh, Gillen able to get only his second win in the truck series and did it at Coda on the road course, so that's definitely a win to be proud of uh, for him and his uh, team, his family. So definitely a, a good result for them. And, yeah, after uh, Gagson uh, went and ran him over at uh, at Mossport a couple of years ago, that was his chance to get a first win there. So. Yeah, redemption, redemption in his hands. The driver and his we. I can't do the Vince Welsh. Yeah, Vince when he Welsh. Was, yeah, at at when he was blowing a load at Gateway for Ross Chastain. But yeah. I, I mean, I think I could probably make a a bot or something that could do that. And 
imitate uh, Vince Welch or something like that. We need to get like sound drops or something. We yeah. need to do drops and things. We need to figure out drops and stuff. I don't have a soundboard just yet, but I want to have drops. That's one of the drops that would have to come in for sure. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, for the rest of the field, uh, Tyler Ankrum uh, was battling uh, late in the race with uh, Gilliland, but then ultimately ended up getting passed. Um with two to go by Kaz uh, Grala. And then uh, it was a third place finish for Ankrum and second was Grala. So a uh, little bit surprising for uh, Ankrum to finish up that high, but nonetheless, uh, still a good finish for him. Grala is a kind of road course expert. So uh, him finishing second, not really surprising. Um, and then the rest of the field uh, kind of, it's kind of how it ended up being. I mean, Sheldon Creed probably would have expected to have a better result. Uh, with him finishing fifth and leading laps, leading most laps of the race, 14 of the 41 laps there in in, in this uh, truck coda race, but fin- ended up fading at the end and finishing fifth. So uh, I, I think I selected him to win the race uh, at coda, but ended up finishing fifth. So uh, not the result that they wanted for sure. Uh, Paul Menard in his comeback from retirement, finishing 11th and the series leader finishing 12th, John Hunter Nemechek. Uh, so a uh, little bit different race than what we saw Saturday, Kyle Busch dominating Sunday, rain, uh, torrential downpour. So uh, this definitely was a lot more enjoyable event uh, from the three races that we had on uh, at Coda last weekend. Yeah, it, was, it started out with the best and it just got progressively worse from there. So it's kind of a shame because it's a great racetrack. And when, when you see it in the dry, um, I think with – more open wheel or sports cars. It's a great racetrack, total great challenge, but it'll be there next year. They'll be racing there again. So hopefully with notes, it might be a better show. Uh, we'll go on to the GSP roundup uh, here in uh, for the week before the, or the days before the Indianapolis 500 and, coca-cola 600 this coming weekend there's plenty of other motorsports going on um we had formula two at monaco last week it'd be nice if i could open up uh oh they just postponed the winton supercars round so there you go uh that's another thing if i could open up uh to stop here so this weekend is Vic. Oh, so there's COVID outbreak. So now there's been a COVID outbreak. So now the V8 supercars will not be racing until that, that there. They won't race there until the end of August or end of July or early August. Um, so then they'll have a delay. Uh, so no race for them. So there you go for people that want to think that all these restrictions and everything being opened up uh, around our country and everything's great and you don't have to wear a mask or don't have to do nothing. Uh, there's Australia. They actually did a pretty good job with it and now they're having another. But it's a small one and they're trying to control it. But there it goes racing, at least for, for now. We'll see uh, when... They come back 
uh, in terms of their schedule. Um, is poised to leave Victoria. Stan Boy to leave Victoria amid the potentially worsening COVID-19 cluster. Oh, awesome. So there you go. So that'll uh, Darwin Triple Crown mid-June. Yeah, so South South Australia. So there you go. There, That's part of the Grip Strip uh, podcast. We're going and getting the live news. Thanks to um, uh, thanks to the motorsport.com, of course, which is where we get all the schedule uh, uh, details and a lot of the great content from the likes of David Malsher and company there. So there you go. So no supercars this weekend, COVID outbreak. People who want to act like it doesn't exist. Um, there you go, geniuses. Um, what is what I brought up Formula 2. I, that's what I did. I brought up Formula 2. So we're going to go and look at that. The uh, Delita. Yeah, the freaking egghead version in formula two was allowed to race even though he was outside of the 107 percent rule but you know in qualifying but then that's that's what happens when you have money even though you're a d-bag in race one the winner was guan yu uh over drogovic and roy nasani jesus roy nasani actually got a podium and Trying to look over there. Daruvala finished 11th. There's Schwartzman's had a bad start to this year. You know, whatever. Dolita finished next to last. Marino Sato's pretty bad. And then you have race two. Race two saw, yeah, Liam Lawson got DQ'd. So they're saying, so Tinktum actually won that race. Wow. Tinktum over Piastri and Yuri Vips. Tio Pusher, who qualified on pole for the um, the main race on Sunday or on Saturday. And then Daruvala finished eighth. Schwartzman finished tenth. And Jack Aiken, their ninth. Drogovic and Guan Yu Zhou. Ended up after finishing one, two, finishing the, they were the last two that finished. Nissani fell out of that race. Then in race three, in race three, Dio Porcher won his first race, 17 years old. Dio Porcher won his first F2 race over Oscar Piastri, uh, two guys that were in Formula Three last year, and Drogovic finished third. Schwartzman finished fourth. Guan Yu Zhou finished fifth. In regards to the point standing, Zhou has a 14-point lead over Piastri and a 21-point lead over Poucher. Then uh, Tinktum fourth, Lawson fifth, Jayhan Darubala is an eighth. Um, yeah, there's that. And um, what else do we have here? In have to move these over. So World Superbikes at Aragon last week. They'll be racing at uh, Estoril uh, this weekend. Uh, the Great Estoril Circuit. 
And you have Gurloff, yeah, Gurloff getting crashed off by Johnny Ray. That's not shocking. Um, tip unfair to Kenya. Gurloff in a really good, good place, and he has good pace going and starting this season, but uh, going into the results of the initial round, the first round of the championship in the in race one saw Johnny Ray over Alex Lowe's his teammate and Toprak Rastagulu in third. We have Gerloff in ninth. And then yeah. Then you have the Super Pole race. Johnny Ray wins that one over Lowe's and Gerloff. Chaz Davies, Michael Vandermark, the top five. And in the race, in race two, Redding for Ducati wins over Johnny Ray, Alex Lowe's. Yeah, Tom Sykes and Michael Vandermark, the BMW, two of the BMWs. Gerloff finished seventh after his uh, crash with uh, Johnny Ray. So that sets him up for this weekend's race at Estoril. The point standings have Johnny Ray up by 12 points over Alex Lowe's. Redding is 17 points behind Jonathan Ray. Garrett Gerloff is fifth in points. So for the people who want the American to win, that's where he's at. And I'm going to bring this up. WRC in Portugal. Let's... M Sport 2022 car, huh? Uh, Efren Evans wins Rally Portugal in his Toyota. Let's go. And then OJ now leads by two points. So Evans, Danny Sordo for Hyundai, and OJ, Sebastian OJ, finished third. So Toyota's one and three. Mm. You had Hyundai in second, one, three, and four. Actually, Katsuda and the Toyota finished fourth. Then two Fords in uh, fifth and sixth. Then you have Rally, what is it, the Rally 2 cars, I guess, all of those, because you have all these guys that used to be in the uh, the main class up there. And you have... MotoGP and Mugello this weekend for the Italian Grand Prix. They're, um, I'll just great. Ducati retains Miller for 2022 season. I would think so. He's won the last two races. I would hope that you're keeping that guy. Uh, it's not many. The last time they had an, well, Jack Miller, yeah, you didn't get, Last time they had an Aussie on that bike, he uh, was pretty darn good. His name was Casey Stoner. Um, so we'll see how he continues on there. Jack Miller now with two consecutive wins, bringing himself back into the points championship, 16 points out behind Fabio Quattararo. And uh, Bagnaia is a point back. And Johan Zarco's 12 points back. Maverick Vinales fifth. That's uh, 
right now the situation with Mark Marquez is 17th in points at 16 versus Fabio Quattraro's 80. Of course, Mark Marquez missed the first two races of the year and then crashed at Le Mans. So see how he can respond. The doctor, Valentino Rossi, is behind Mark Marquez. He only has nine points so far in the 2021 World Championship. In Moto2, the American riders are right now. Joe Roberts is in sixth, but he's on 31 points, so he's nearly 60 points behind. He's 58 points behind Remy Gardner. Raul Fernandez is one point behind Remy. Then um, you have Marco Bisecchi, Sam Lowe's, and DG Antonio. And uh, Cameron Bobier is in 16th with 12 points. He hasn't scored in a couple of rounds, so we'll see what he can do here this week. So the other uh, major race is the Extreme in Senegal this weekend. So it'll be the second race for Extreme, the uh, basically rally off-road deal uh, where they have uh, a male and female driver. They run a lap each. It's a time deal, kind of like rally. So you have the Ganassi crew with uh, Sarah Price and Kyle LaDuke trying to recover after last race or it wasn't as easy for them. Uh, the final battle was Nico Rosberg's team against Lewis Hamilton's with Nico Rosberg's team getting the win. Uh, so I guess holding him over on him for 2016, I guess. But he has to win once in a while to make up for the fact he has a small penis. Um, anyway, so... Speaking of small units, we'll go to the NASCAR triple header. And uh, I guess we'll start with the trucks. They'll be running on Friday night. And I think the North Carolina Education Lottery 200 at Charlotte Motor Speedway. It's a track that uh, definitely has seen better days uh, than what we see right now. But in regards to the truck series race it's a short race uh 40 trucks 36 spots so there will be uh bumping uh, there is no kyle bush so it should be a little bit more interesting um who are you looking at josh as a favorite um who could be a dark horse for friday night well i think the favorite is john hunter nina check he's been uh, excellent at the other mile and a half tracks like uh, Las Vegas, like Atlanta tracks, basically the Speedway Motorsports mile and a half tracks he's been pretty good at, and all the other mile and a half tracks that the series has raced on uh, so far this year. So I think he has to be the favorite for this race, uh, and I think he'll likely win uh, probably. And uh, I think, you know, another uh, dark horse. Uh, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of tough, but you know, I'm gonna go with last week's winner, Todd Gilliland. Uh, he hasn't really been great uh, so far uh, this year, but obviously he did just win the race uh, on the road course. So let's see if he can translate that success onto the ovals. Yeah, I mean, John Hunter definitely is the pick. If there was anybody else, I would 
I'll go and uh, I'll go pick Sheldon Creed. It's not biased. I just figure, you know, why not? We'll pick Sheldon Creed. In terms of a dark horse candidate, you figure at some point Chandler Smith has to put it together. Uh, he is in a Kyle Busch Motorsports truck. He has Danny Stockman as his crew chief. Uh, you know, the way that John Hunter's been running all year, granted a lot more experience, having Eric Phillips on the box, he's a great crew chief, and they've become a great combination. If uh, Toyota or 2311's going to expand next year, I figure that's going to be a combination that is considered. But in terms of other guys, I think Chandler Smith would be somebody to look at in regards to an, a dark horse pick for somebody who hasn't had much go for him well this year. So to possibly go and get into that race or go with that race uh, with the right uh, luck, right uh, circumstances in that deal. The Alsco uniforms 300 on Saturday, 43 cars for 36 spots and um i'll start with this one a favorite to me got cup got a couple of cup regulars in this race uh ty gibbs is in this race instead of kyle bush so it'll be in, more interesting chase briscoe is actually driving for bj mcclaude in terms of a favorite I'm going to go and take the, I don't even, I'm going to go with, with uh, Justin Allgaier. I think he's now just the birth of their second daughter a few days ago. Uh, he's on a high possible go out there, you know, the new dad feels, even though he's been a father all these years for Harper, but the fact is I have a new baby here. Go and get her a nice trophy to go in the uh, room uh, to start uh, that uh, time off there with two kids. I think he's a favorite. In regards to a dark horse pick, I'll say, eh, I don't even know. It's, I mean, I guess it works as a dark horse pick because he's not even a full-time driver. I mean, you can make the argument for either of them in, as a dark horse because they're not running full-time, so you could use it in, in theory. Uh, in that sense, I am going to go with uh, Ty Gibbs. He's shown a lot of pace and a lot of poise for the vast majority of his races here this year, so he's been doing a lot of work in the arca series so for whatever that's worth but it's worth but he's doing that also in xfinity so those are my picks how about you josh well for xfinity uh, i'm gonna go uh with uh gumby here and pick austin Cindric. uh he's been good on the mile and a half tracks and has definitely been a driver to watch the last two years here in xfinity being the most recent champion and i think he'll probably end up winning this race on Saturday. Uh, and as far as 
a dark horse. Uh, I'm gonna go with it's tough, tough again here, but uh, you know, I'm gonna go with Brandon Brown. Uh, you know, they this is gonna be a challenging race, I think, for them. You know, they I think they're a little bit better on the short tracks and the road courses, uh, because that's a place where they can be relatively closer to the leaders as far as pace goes. But you know, they they've had a couple of good runs on on the ovals uh, at Las Vegas, and they finished 11th, uh, starting 25th. Um, they finished uh, other other tracks. I mean, they they haven't really done that great. Some of the other bigger tracks, but this would definitely be a chance to kind of figure out where where they stand as far as the uh, mile and a half program uh, for that team goes. So I think Brandon Brown could be a dark horse, uh, especially with. Uh, him being kind of on that bubble, I guess, in Xfinity for uh, for that team. Yeah, go and get stage points, put themselves a little bit closer. He got some road courses, some different racetracks coming up, Nashville Super Speedway coming up here in a few weeks. There's a kind of an opportunity because a lot of these teams haven't been there uh, in many years or not at all. So some opportunities for Brandon Brown's organization like the tommy joe martins of the world to go and possibly get some points put themselves in a better position as we go into the rest of the regular season last race of course is the longest race uh it's the enduro it's the coca-cola 600 the 38 cars so the shortest field ever in the history of the coca-cola 600 so that's a great Thanks, Rob Kaufman. Um, when you can't even fill a field for the Coca-Cola 600, that's telling you a lot. And there aren't even, I don't even think half of them damn cars are all that competitive or whatever. So tells you a lot about the charter system. Uh, Clyde will be making his 200th career cup start. So I'm sure that would look pretty good for him to win back-to-back races. Uh, he has won at Charlotte, of course, last year. Um, when they came back from pandemic, uh, the second race they ran at Charlotte, not the six. I mean, he should have won the 600 and then they gave it away and helped Brad win that one. So I'll take that. And then um, he won the second race and I think he had a chance to win the road course. Did he win? He won the Roval, didn't he? Chase my, won the Roval. Yeah, he won the Roval last year. Yeah. So, I mean, he's got a pretty good run there, but um, who are you looking at for the 600, Josh? Oh, I mean, you stole who I was going to pick for the, the 600, so I'm going to have to go a little different here, and I'm going to go... Well, with, I didn't make a pick, yeah. actually, so... Oh, I thought you said Chase, though. No, yeah. I was just uh, talking about yeah. his recent run oh, of, yeah. of races at Charlotte, actually, and the yeah. fact he's making his 200 start there. Well, yeah, well, I mean, it's all great storylines and everything. And he did win last year at uh, the second makeup race uh, immediately following the Coke 600 last year. So that would be a good pick. But, you know, I'm going to go with uh, Kyle Larson. Uh, He's been pretty dominant as of late. Still only has one win so far. And they seem like they're the car to beat on the mile and a half tracks if they can figure out how to finish races when they're being challenged for the lead uh, or, you know, have better pit stops than the rest of the competition. So I think, you know, this is another chance for 
Kyle Larson to lack up, uh, or rack up uh, wins on the or, or laps and wins on the uh, standings, and you know have you know multiple wins, be the third driver to have multiple wins, and uh, continue to lead uh, the series and laps led like he is right now. So uh, Kyle Larson as uh, the driver to win the Coke 600 and would be the biggest win of his career. And also it is the most valuable uh, race on the schedule because there's going to be four stages. Uh, if you uh, forgot about that. Uh, and then I think for a wild card, uh, I'm going to go with, um, you know, I'm going to go with Anthony Alfredo, uh, see what, what they can do if they can get a lead lap finish uh, in the 38 car and uh, get up front or, you know, close up front. They seem like, a you know, they have a team that don't really have a lot of, of speed, but the 600 is a, a long race and maybe, you know, they stay out of trouble and they're one of the last cars on the lead lap or one of the first cars to lap down. Yeah, back in the day when they ran it as an actual 600-mile race instead of four stages with brakes and everything, the the likes of an Anthony Alfredo could go and run fuel mileage or do some sort of weird strategy and possibly sneak a win, you know, like the 2007 race uh, was an example of that. You know, there, that, there are stories like that over the years. Um, we'll see. He's had a real struggle this year. Uh, struggle bus has been uh, full for the 38 team. And to be fair, the, that front row motorsports team outside of the restrictor plate races and to a lesser extent, I guess the road course events has not been amazing. So it is what it is though. And for me, I'll take, I'll take, uh, I was going to take a Joe Gibbs car. I just didn't know which one I was going to take. I mean, Clyde's out there. I figure that's what they want. Uh, he has the momentum, all these things. He's been winning there recently. Um, but I'm going to go and take uh, Truex. He's won this race before. He led all but eight laps of this race a few years ago, um, which was insane. Uh, to think, to lead a 600-mile race and only to, to lead, run a 600-mile race, 400 laps, lead all but eight laps. I always think about Ernie Irvin when he won the 93 fall race at, at Charlotte and he led all but six laps. So it's, I mean, that's the kind of track it can happen. He did that at Darlington a few weeks ago. So I think Truex is the guy uh, to go and win the 600. Uh, dark horse pick. Dark horse pick. I'm gonna go. I would go with Ross Chastain. Um, the last few weeks have been uh, positive signs for him and Sir Phil Surge and that whole entire 42 crew. Um, maybe he goes and goes out there and puts together a a nice night, nice evening over to multiple stages. You have the practice as well, which could help them. I'm gonna go pick Ross Chastain. I might. I was gonna go like Homer and. Uh, Briscoe, but I, you know, one top 10 doesn't mean that they're right there, uh, but it is an opportunity with practice and qualifying in three stages or four stages, but he didn't have a great qualifying run last week. He just had a good car in the rain, so um, we'll see if they can put it together in a dry on an oval. 
here this weekend in the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, from there, let's go to you, Josh, in regards to sim racing exploits and anything that's going on for this weekend for you. Well, uh, the Indy 500 uh, was again this weekend, so we talked about that last week, and that was the fixed Indy 500 was the previous week, and that's kind of a, a new thing that iRacing did. You know, everybody on the, the same setup, and uh, you know, you're only allowed to change the roll bars and the weight jacker, and uh, it's supposed to be more of like figure out who's the, I guess, the best driver and all that stuff. But this weekend was kind of the traditional uh, marquee iRacing event that's been going on for like the last decade or so, and you know, open setup uh, drivers, and then of course you know you're allowed to have a spotter and all that. So that's supposed to be kind of like the one of the traditional like iRacing like marquee events. And uh, I I qualified, so I tried it three times, and the first one started third. Uh, spun out in turn one on the first lap because I had the anti-roll bar uh, set up uh, really loose on the front end and on the back end, and, and I didn't change that and spun out. So uh, then, then I wrecked on lap 11, got, got caught up on, in someone else's mess. But uh, then on Saturday, uh, I started next to noted uh, sim racing personality Jimmy Broadbent, and uh, I started right next to him, and then on lap 18, so I was 27. You mean Shaq Villeneuve? Shaq yeah. Villeneuve? Shetty yeah. Irvine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I, or he started 27th and I started 28th in that one. And on Saturday afternoon, 1 p.m., uh, 5 p.m., uh, GMT. And he, uh, on lap 18, he got crashed in turn one. Uh, somebody tried to pass him on the inside, and he was on the outside lane, and then the guy just didn't have an, enough grip on the inside lane and uh, drifted up into him and, and wiped Jimmy out in turn one. And I drove by him. And so at least, you know, for my purposes, I can officially say that I did beat Jimmy uh, Broadbent in a iRacing race. Granted, he was taken out, but still yeah. I finished higher up in the running order than him. But, you know, later on in that one, um, I got penalized for uh, passing uh, before the start finish line on the inside line it's because the restarts were all jumbled up and people can't figure out how to restart on iRacing for whatever reason and then that kind of ruined my race because then ended up falling a lap down trying to serve that penalty uh, and then uh, hit the wall or whatever and just didn't have pace and then uh, I think yeah then I, I wrecked or whatever on like lap 113 or something and that pretty much ended my deal there and then uh, on Sunday uh, ran it again Sunday morning, 9 a.m. Uh, it was the last session for Open Indy 500 and uh, qualified 12th and then finished 11th one lap down. And uh, I was glad I was able to finish that one, at least, you know, be able to uh, get to the end of the race. Uh, probably could have stayed on the lead lap. I mean, I, I hit the wall and then went into the pits to repair. But as I was in on pit road, uh, the caution came out. So I probably should have just uh, stayed out and not taken the pit stop and probably would have uh, at least stayed on the lead lap that way and uh, got my repairs and then just limped it home and finished ninth on the lead lap there, but nonetheless still was able to finish the race. So uh, definitely learned a lot. It, it was, uh, it was hard to pass and, you know, you could get a draft uh, off the, you know, on the straights, but then get up real close to the gearbox going to turn one. But, you know, you really had to have a lot of confidence, a lot of, a lot of downforce in the turn one and just didn't, didn't have that confidence in the car being able to do that uh make that pass because i didn't want to 
drift up into the outside lane and take somebody out and, you know, ruin their race and ruin my race probably. So I uh, didn't want to take that opportunity. So I uh, really only chance was to, you know, beat somebody off of pit stops or, or just have a, a different fuel strategy. I mean, that was the same uh, story for the fixed 500 as well. So definitely going to have to, you know, go uh, do some analysis, I guess, and figure out what, what I need to do for uh, the next Indy 500 and uh, be competitive there. Uh, so uh, definitely had a, a lot to learn, uh, but, you know, had fun. Uh, it was cool to be starting next to Jimmy Broadbent. So, you know, in terms of uh, pace, at least, you know, qualifying pace, being able to be in the same split as him and, you know, start right next to him certainly gives me uh, confidence, I guess, for sim racing because you know, he's definitely one of the best uh, sim racers uh, on the internet in, you know, around the, around the world. So, you know, being in the same event as him, you know, that's uh, definitely something really cool. Uh, and, you know, it gives us a little bit of exposure too, because we're right next to him and, you know, however many people are watching him, uh, you know, they, they'll see the GSP on the side pod of our car, uh, at least for a brief moment, a brief couple of seconds. So uh, maybe they'll say, Hey, what's that? And go watch that. Cause you know, a lot of those guys, they, uh, you know, tribute paint schemes they'll run or make their own thing. And, you know, I feel like ours is a little unique because we don't have an actual brand next to it. So uh, definitely had a lot of fun racing the Indy 500 uh, on iRacing. And then we'll have to try it again in the fall for the Open Wheels 500, try to actually make that race. Um, and then uh, try the real Indy 500 on iRacing again next year. Any 600 uh, stuff with the 87? package or no uh probably be out of town this weekend so i'm not going to be doing any sim racing uh on there uh i mean i would if i was going to be home uh all weekend but i'm going to be out of the house so probably not all right well and my i'll do a little bowling segment here so my last few nights in league have actually uh been quite fruitful I've been uh, picking up my average a bit. There have been some changes. We're getting into a cash league here uh, next week, actually, uh, starting uh, next Thursday, I believe. So we'll be getting busy with that. But bold, what is it? I bold two two nineteen, I believe. I have to go back here. I got it on my picture. When I'm going to do that, I have to take pictures of it because it used to be a thing where I'm like, oh, my God, I bold. But now... It's actually uh, something that happens more often. It tells you how good you're getting. Bold 237 in practice, bold 218 in league, and then uh, beat my teammate by 15, 16 pins there. And then bold 237 post in post, so in practice. So that's that was a good night there. We've had good few nights in a row getting things together even though my knees are starting to go and my arms are starting to fall off because i'm out of shape so i have to go and get on some sort of workout regimen or some shit but the bowling's coming along all that practice and hard work is paying off so thanks will uh for coaching me being a good friend as well and uh yeah i mean that's about it we'll keep you posted because now i'm gonna actually be paying playing for some money so we'll see I might uh, be sweating a little bit more, might be a little more stressed out, but we're going to go and get some W's. We're going to get some money because this MFer's broke. At least he's broke until a few months from now when he gets a better job, which uh, is also going to happen. But 
Um, with that, we will uh, end tonight's uh, Grip Strip podcast, episode 62. And we will um, send it to you, Josh. Where can we follow you on social media and uh, your live streams of iRacing? Yeah, as always, follow Twitter at uh, JP Huffline. Uh, see all my tweets there. Uh, and then at uh, twitch.tv slash newsailor2 for all the iRacing streams and other gaming streams or whatever streams I decide to do. That's uh, where all that stuff will be. And you can follow us at, or you can follow me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook as well, uh, but I'm not really on there anymore. Uh, you can follow the us on Twitter at GripStripPod on Twitter. And we are on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, we're on I, the, the shows will be uploaded on uh, Podbean and they'll also go up to all those places along with philipgmatthew.com. And you can also find me on the Grid Talk podcast. That's F1 Chronicle. You can find me on sportlight.com with writing and uh, other places with writing as we go along here in uh, the rest of 2021 talk more about you know football and other sports and golf like as i mentioned earlier phil mickelson's epic win uh on sunday and uh we will uh do it as it comes along so we thank you for listening to the gripture podcast thanks to you josh as always be my trusty sidekick and uh providing all the great insight and information and we thank you um we thank you listeners for uh, the downloads and everything and supporting us if you want to buy diecast on circlebdiecast.com use the code gsp28 and you'll get free shipping so if you're interested in that there's plenty of good diecasts out there uh chase briscoe's running a truck at uh eldora and you could get your name on it. Um, being me being a mark, I went and paid for the one that puts my name the biggest. I'm probably going to go and f- figure out a way to put a smaller one. I'm just going to put Gripster Podcast. We'll see what we do with that. But we'll get to that when that happens. But we thank you for listening to the Gripstrip Podcast. And uh, hope you have stay safe, take care of one another. Um, Australia's proof that we can't go and let let uh you know things down you can't let your guard down you have to be smart here still um and take care so that we're not back in the same situation we were here basically a year ago um so take care of one another be smart be safe and 